The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. So, uh, so much fun stuff this morning. I just, you guys, I'm just going to tell you, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, the marriage passage. So if you're single, keep your brains on. Even if you want to stay single forever, if you've looked at marriage and you say, I see marriage not for me, um, keep your brains on. Because this aspect of God's word is not just important for married people, but it's important for something that is within the needs of all humans, and that is to be known intimately and well. And this is almost something that we are allergic to in our culture. So with that being said, flip open to Ephesians chapter 5. And we are not going to start in verse 22, which is wives submit, because I've never met a girl that hears those two words and gets googly-eyed over a man. Men, you should never have to say this. Okay, but before I make a bunch of people angry, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask God to do a miracle, okay? So if you're married... And your spouse is here, grab their hand right now. If you're single, grab your own hands, embrace for impact. Father, there are a hundred ways that I could mess this passage up and get in the way. Lord, I trust, I trust in your spirit to bring to the top of this passage what matters most. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, young, teenager, married, single, old, all in between. God, we need to be known as people. And there is a resistance to it. So I pray that as we study marriage, we would understand the importance of, of being known, that we would understand how we ought to live with our spouse. God, there are marriages in here that need miracles. So I pray that today your spirit would be that miracle. There are worldviews in here, God, that are so not Bible-centered, Bible-saturated. Help us to go to the Bible before we go to culture before we we just try to adapt our own thoughts help us go to your thoughts and god help those of us who are married to be living pictures of how much you love us in jesus name all god's kids said amen okay so you can send questions in i won't answer all of them if they're mean i will answer them you can, and then I realized AT&T people kept complaining. We cannot text questions in. So if you're an AT&T person, get on Twitter, tweet at me. If you don't know what Twitter is, sorry. We're going to read. Everyone hold up your Bibles. You got your Bibles? You look in here? So there's something in your Bibles. Does everyone see, and if you have a fake Bible, they're in your fake Bibles too on the phone. Does everyone see where it says something like wives and husbands right before verse 22? Okay. So those parts are actually not in the Bible. So when God's Spirit was breathing out His Word, it was just a book. There were no chapters. The Holy Spirit wasn't like, okay, Paul, chapter 6, now, verse 1, this. 
this is the subtitle for that. It wasn't there. So one thing that happens when we talk about marriage and when we come to this passage, there are primarily two camps. And and I know this might be a little heady for you, but I need you to, to see the camps that exist today. One camp says, there is no distinction between gender anymore. That was an archaic thing. It's an old way of thinking. And the other camp says, no, there definitely is a distinction of gender. There is male and female as God created them. Now, both camps have people that are jacked up human beings. On one camp, you've got people that may say things like this. We're going to read this passage, and they say this means the man is in charge, but then we see men that take it too far. We see abuse. We see men that lord over their wives. And then the other side, when there is no difference between the genders, we see what we're having now in our culture, which is this tectonic shift in in what sexuality even is. And there's almost no moral ground to stand on. We're sort of living not on moral ground, but in moral pudding. And we're all flopping around in it. So we're going to read, don't get mad at me, you guys. God wrote the mail. I'm just delivering it, okay? But I'm going to read in verse 21 because we need to read verse 21 first and realize that subtitle's not there because other, if you don't do that, then this whole passage just falls apart quickly. Verse 21 of Ephesians 5. Based on everything that God has done, we are to be submitting to one another. Everyone say one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Wives, here it is, the big one. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. All the wives said... Amen. You got two of you. Two of you. Yeah. And my wife wasn't one of them. I'm, come on. Okay. For the husband is the head. Everyone say the head of the wife. I know some of you wives are like, yeah, my husband's got an empty head. Okay. We're going to keep going. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So this seems to be painting a real Different picture than what some of you may have grown up with. I did not grow up in the church. I was raised by a single mom. She could do anything. My mom was like the Hulk plus Wonder Woman plus Professor Xavier. She had all the skills. There you go. There you go, said a woman. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. I know the wives are like, I don't like this. I'm tweeting my questions right now. (laughs) Husbands, 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 are you listening? Ears, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, this is what Christ did for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, husbands, look, look, listen, listen, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. We're going to stop there for right now. Okay. I didn't write this. God wrote this. So if you have a question for God, that's prayer. But as I pressed into this this week, I wanted to clarify some things. The word submit. Who here loves it when someone comes to you and says submit? We don't 
particularly like that in our culture. It's, it's in, uh, in the fight world, there's a submission where you literally dominate your will on somebody until they give up. I don't think that's any person's love language, man or woman. There's nobody that as a six-year-old, like my, our kids, if you go talk to the kids in kids' ministry, you can ask every girl in kids' ministry, without reading this passage to them, say, hey, when you grow up, do you just want to be dominated by another boy, man? Do you just want to be oppressed? Do you want to be subjected to some authority of a man? Now, you're, you might be thinking, wait a second. I grew up in the church. Husbands are the head. Wives are to submit. Man, Jesus. Wife, church. I, I agree with you. This is an illustration. I think submission is actually a good thing. And if we start with verse 21... We are to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, one another. And then there's some amazing verses about submission. So I'm just going to read a couple of them. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that, uh, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus says, I don't do anything of my own accord. This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. This is Jesus who walks on water, spits in mud, takes blindness away. This is Jesus who steals a kid's lunchbox and feeds 5,000 people. Like mega, powerful, in control Jesus says, I, I just do what the Father says. I submit to the Father. Now, would any of you in here ever say, Jesus is not equal to the Father. And you may, if you didn't grow up in church, you might be like, oh, I don't know how that works because the the Trinity is a very hard thing. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you know what I'm talking about, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three persons in one being. Don't ask me to explain it. There are mysteries in the Bible, and pastors try to explain it, and every attempt sounds lame to me. They're like, well, it's like a cake. You get the eggs and the flour and the butter and the sugar, and I'm like, well, you just said four. What are we now? So so I, I can't explain it other than, they are equal in dignity, worth, and value. They are equal in abilities, but they play a role within their being. And we are created in the image of this three-in-one God. We, men and women, are equal in dignity, worth, and value. But there are differences. There are biological differences that we can see. We can plainly see that on the majority, men tend to have different bone densities, different muscular, uh, muscular structures. Uh, on the average, I'm not saying like specifically, there's always exceptions to the rule, but on the average, men, because of testosterone, so this is physiology, God hardwired. Remember, when I say testosterone, I'm not saying it that dis, uh, distinct from God. God made testosterone, put it in men, and testosterone does something to us as men, right? Women, you should know this. If you have a teenage son who's around the age of 10, 11, 12, they have what's called the epiphany, right? Where they wake up one morning and all of a sudden what was gross is now the delight and sole pursuit of their life. This is the epiphany. This is testosterone that God created and it blossoms during a certain part of life. And then, you know, a nine-year-old's birthday party is like, I want just all my guy friends. A 14-year-old boy's birthday party is like, I want her and her and her and it's going to be a pool party. Mm-hmm. Because the epiphany. Because there are differences between us. But, but Jesus submits to the Father. Even in Luke 22, when he's going to the cross, he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. If you could take this from me, take it from me. But your will be done. Now this is Jesus, God in the flesh, submitting to the Father. And then we see other aspects of this. That, that in, uh, in Genesis 2, the wife was created to be the helper. 
and people don't like that either. I, I like that because I love the Genesis story because God took the dirt and he formed the dirt. And I'm not going to get in trouble because I, I already got in trouble um, with my mother-in-law for what I said on Facebook last week. Um, but God took dirt and made a man and then breathed into him, which is why all men are dirt bags. And then, no, actually sin is why men are dirt bags, but that's a different story. Okay, and then, and then he had him go and name all the animals so that he would see that he wasn't complete. Because God said, I made this and it's good. I made the, the earth and it was good, the sky and it was good. And everything, if you look at the Genesis story, days one, two, and three are the containers that hold days four, five, and six, if you never saw that before. So it's beautiful because everything's got a partner to go with it. And then the animals, Adam's like, hippopotamus boy, hippopotamus girl, hippopotamus, you know, lion boy, lion girl, lioness. But then he's, there's nothing for me, God. And God said, yeah, this is not good. You need a helper. So first off, if you are a female here and you're thinking, wait, I'm not just a helper. You're absolutely right. You're not just a helper, but men need help. Okay? We, we don't function. We cannot function without the female species. Like there's the obvious biological thing that if all of the men or women vanished, if all the women vanished, we would die as a species. But not only that, I think, and we've seen this play out in sociological studies, in psycho- psychological studies, when families are even just broken apart, kids change. You know, we call them things like daddy issues because people need parents to be there to raise a whole human being. And, it, and, and I'm not saying if you, if you are part of that brokenness, I'm with you. My life was broken, but God comes in and brings healing, and it helps to acknowledge, okay, we need men, we need women. And the helper that women are referred to in the Bible is also the same word that the Bible uses for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters, the Spirit of God that dwells in every single believer, the Spirit of God who is pure and total power and love within us is called the helper. So I don't think that's a a negative term. I don't think submission of Jesus submits. I want to be like Jesus. So that can't be a negative term all the time. Helper can't be a negative term. Headship. Now, this is a a hard, hard one. But as I read the Bible, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to just take everything I've learned from other churches and pastors and books and say, based on what they've told me, here's my views. I want to go to, and you should want to go to this book. If you disagree with me, come to this book and say, Pastor, this is why I disagree with you. Because in this passage, it says that the wife, the wife, has a head, and the head is, is the man. And the man, and this is Corinthians 11, the man's head is Christ. But then it says something else in that passage in Corinthians 11, talking about headship, because it brings up this headship in here. The head of Christ is God. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, equal. They have equal power, equal ability, but they step into certain roles for the sake of relationship and the way that they operate. Now, here's what's hard. If you're married or single, if you're dating, I need you to know that every person you meet is a sinful human being. Every person you meet will twist God's ideal because sin is within us. Sin is soaked into this world. One of the things that grieves me uh, on passages like this is that as a pastor, um, people do this thing. So you know that phrase we have when we come to the end of your rope, right? For, For whatever reason... People will come to me not when they're sliding down the rope. People come to me when their life has fallen and there's a pit of death and despair below them and they're holding on to the last knot 
and their knuckles are slowly breaking and they're about to fall. And they say, I need help. I need help. And I tell them, like, look, you slid down 10 years of rope. It's hard to help you when you got only one hand on the knot of life and your spouse is trying to yank you off of the rope. Some of you are so far gone in your marriage, you're thinking right now, there is no way that A, as a wife, I want to submit to or help or be a part of whatever's going on in this headship thing. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. This is my opinion, so you can disagree. I believe that the husband's role, not in greater worth, dignity, value, or even ability, but we have a role and it's compared to the role of Christ. Not to be our wives' saviors, men. We cannot do that. But we are to love our wives like Jesus loved the church. And it says he sacrificed, served, he sanctified, and he exalted and presented the church. This is how we are to love our wives. It doesn't mean that our wives can't do it better. In my marriage, my wife does most things better. I can count on one hand the things that I do better, and they're all in the realm of nerdiness. I can't do a lot of things well. But there's this wiring, and, and I think it's in most of us. So, for example, um, men, because we're biologically bigger, and I think there's something deep in the soul, that when our, our females or a female is in danger, we want men to step up, and we value that. So um, one time, my wife was pregnant. She wasn't showing yet when she was pregnant. So she was like six months pregnant, four months pregnant. I don't know what it was. It was our first kid. It was so cool. I was like jazzed to have a pregnant wife. And we were at a hotel in Las Vegas. I, I wasn't gambling or drinking or gluttonizing, okay? I was there totally sin-free. And, uh, and this gang, literally a gang of people, came up when we were just walking through, and they touched my wife, like, inappropriately. And it was like a gang, like gang bangers, you know, all tatted up like me, but not Jesus-y words. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, I've never seen my wife want me more than when I went into the middle of the gang and I said, one of you touched my wife's rear end. One of you's going to pay deeply. And my wife's in the background like, <laughs> and I see in this and I'm like, and another thing, you know? Because I'm like, Lord, send the Venetian security guards quick. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but there's this innateness, I believe, that if there's a bump in the night at your house, <laughs> even if your wife is a black belt in jiu-jitsu with a gun on her ankle, which I know some of you here have and are, I, I still feel like there's this innateness that like, the guy should get up. And I might be a dinosaur in this. I am conservative theologically on so many areas. But I look at this and I think, man, yes, I want to get up. Even if, even if I'm going and my wife's getting mugged and she's got a gun and I'm like, I don't do guns. And, I, and someone says, give me your purse. I'll be like, no, boom. And then they knock my teeth out and my wife drops them, pop, pop, pop. I still think it was on me to get there first. I still think at the end of that, with two less teeth, she'd be like, thank you. And I'd be like, no problem. Because what did Jesus do for the church? Did he dominate over the church? Did he beat down Peter when Peter denied him? 
This is the God of the universe. This is the reason why Jesus went to the cross and not me. If I was on the cross, I'd have laser beams out of my eyes. I'd be zapping everybody. I would call down the angels. I'd be like, hey, I want 10,000 for that guy. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to die, and I forgive you. You don't know what you're doing. And Jesus, before Peter denied him, said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, I will never do that, Lord. And then he did it. Boom, 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 boom. What does Peter do? What does Jesus do with Peter? Let's go to have breakfast after I resurrect. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? It wasn't a, Peter, how could you? It wasn't a, Peter, you, you lied to me. Even when people offended Jesus directly, even when people struck Jesus, he didn't retaliate. There's something in us, and it may be cultural, but I don't think it purely is. I think that there's a spiritual component that God has wired into male and female. Because we do this, right? We see somebody that hits a female, and we go, no, no, it's not okay. But for some reason, and it's not that it's okay, but, but let's just be honest. My wife, she's 5'8", she's just gorgeous. If she was up here and she hit me, you'd be like, yeah, that was kind of funny. But if I hit her, I'd get rushed. I'd get rushed by some of you guys or shot. Because we know. We, we see this difference. Husbands, don't worry about what wives are called to do in this passage. If you ever have to tell your wife, submit, you lost. If you ever have to tell your wife, I am the head of this family, you lost. Jesus served. He laid down his life. He says, do that. Does this mean the wives don't have to do that? By no means. Because in the beginning of this, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. And then he says, this is what it should look like. Submitting and honoring and helping. Laying down your life. And then all of a sudden, as the paint begins to go down the canvas of this picture, you see this image, at least I see this image, of a wife that's saying, I want to help, I want to serve. And the husband's not here saying, yes. He's saying, I'm here to die. I'm here to lift you up. So as, as the wife in this picture, in my head, I see the wife like saying, I want to serve and help because God has wired me to do this. And the husband at the same time, as she's kneeling, he's lifting because then it says the husband is supposed to present, to lift up, to exalt. Exalt means lift up. So literally in this passage, you have this amazing picture of a radical, other-centered love to say, I'm going to press into you with this help, serve, submit thing. And the husband's saying, yes, and I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I'm going to press into you and lift and exalt and show you off. Man, I love this. I mean, if you want to get your wife, or if you're dating, if you're single in here, like take this stuff. This is gold. If you're single in here, don't use it to manipulate people. But honestly, ask yourself, am I ready, willing, and equipped to serve people this way? Because it's not just for husbands and wives. The Bible wants us to be known. And everything in our culture says, don't let people know you. Even in our marriages. I, I, I love it. It just gets more intense for me. So here we go in verse 30. Uh, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall... Oh, no, Sorry. Back up, 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his 
wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. This one's easy. Um, I've, I've talked with many, 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 many couples who say, we need marriage counseling, or one, one partner, we need marriage counseling, but my spouse, my husband, my wife, they don't want anything to do with it. I just want you to remember this passage. Love your own body. Love your wife the way you love your own body. So if anyone in here today, if you had some illness befall you, and half your body just stopped working, would you go to the doctor the next day? Or would you just be like, I'm, I can shake this off. It's okay. I got gangrene eating up my right lung, but I got a left lung. If you couldn't move one arm and one leg, are you going to ignore this? So here, here's my pitch to you. If one person in any relationship thinks there's a problem, but especially in the marriage relationship, then you've got a problem, Houston. If one person says, I think we need help, Don't try to convince them, no, no, we don't need help, everything's going to be okay, because half of your body is broken. Half of your body had a stroke. Half of your body is being eaten away, and that's like the other half saying, I think we'll be fine out of the corner of its near gangrenous mouth, and eventually, the infection will take over the whole body. Eventually, the paralysis begins to creep over to the other side. This, This passage is so clear. It says, love them like you love your own bodies, because the two become one. This is the mystery, you guys. We call it sex in our culture, but it's so, so, so much more. And I know that there is brokenness and pain and past and sin. Here's what I want you to know. God forgives and will step into every pain you've ever had. And with this idea of marriage and oneness, you know, a few weeks ago I told all the married couples, go home and have sex, that's your church homework. It was the only time people ever did homework I gave them. But there's this mingling of souls that happens. And it's not going to happen if a wife is saying, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. It's not going to happen if the husband is pushing down rather than lifting up and empowering. The Bible has some amazing things to say about living with people, especially because it's a, a patriarchal culture, a man-centered culture when the Bible is written a lot of it. But the Bible says it's better to live in the corner of the roof of your house than with a contemptuous woman. It's better to go to a journey in the desert than live with a wife who complains. I mean, these are in the book of Proverbs. It's intense. So wives, have you you thought about that? Like the Bible says that if you're like the thorn in your marriage, or if you're the thorn of a person in all of your relationships, the Bible's like, get away from those people. Go and die of thirst in the desert, for that is much better. I don't want to be compared to that. I don't think any of the women do. Now, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't have cool things for the husbands, but I took the liberty and made some up. <laughs> I'm not going to say these. I'll get in so much trouble. How many elders are here today? Uh, I'll think about it later. Okay. Husbands. Husbands. Every time you raise your voice in judgment against your wife, I want you to ask yourself, Is this what Jesus would say to her if he was in my place? Because he is our bride. And I know that's weird for some of the guys in here. The church is his, the church is his bride. He's our groom. He's going to marry us. He's going to bring us into a big family. And he is the model husband. I just don't know that I see a lot of husbands that would lay down their life. I don't know if I see a lot of people that do this in their friendships. And it's hard because single people, you guys... 
You don't get less selfish as time goes on. The reality is we are born self-centered people. And there are many things in this life that tear layers of selfishness off. Having friends that really deeply know you is one of them. Getting married is one of them. Having kids is one of them. But you don't have to get married or have kids. Jesus was never married. Jesus didn't have kids. He's going to marry all of us one day. Not polygamy. Don't ask me how. But he was a full and perfect human being. So single people, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I exemplifying what this type of intimacy looks like? Because Jesus fully knows every one of us and still says, I do. I choose you. And he knows you more than your spouse knows you. And he says, I still choose you. And when that truth begins to melt your heart, I believe that's the only way we can finally open up to this picture of marriage. Where, where wives no longer see submit helper and headship as bad words, but as a role, even though they may be better at things, to say, I want to press into what God's word says, irregardless of what the culture says, regardless of what the culture says. And husbands, to finally say, if Jesus would die for me, would I die for my wife? Would I die for her if she said, I, want, I, I don't want to live here anymore? I don't want you to watch this anymore. How many of you would, how many of you as husbands would give up what you're doing for your wives? It's expected that wives do it for husbands still in our culture. Every few years, um, I tell my wife this verbally, but I was just reminded by a friend um, that there's a, an author that I think is hilarious, and he, he gives his wife his resignation letter to his job. And he says, you can send this in whenever you want. If my job gets in the way of us. And just a few uh, weeks ago, I told Amy, I said, if you ever want me to stop being a pastor, you tell me. And I will quit that day. I will go get a job selling frozen cheeseburger patties. I will get out of this. Because I, I will die to what I want for her. Because Jesus died for, it seemed to be what he wanted. Lord, if there's any other way, take this from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Because our marriages, our relationships ought to be a living display so that when people see us, they say, whatever changed that guy, whatever changed that girl, whether it's in marriage, friendships, coworkers, because imagine if an army of people went out today and said, I'm going to go into my office and I'm going to look at this idea of headship and submission in a way that honors and exults and comes alongside rather than constantly jockeying to lift myself up. Or if we go in and we're an employer and we say, I'm going to lift up my employees. I'm going to make much of them. I'm going to give them credit and take blame so they can be splendid. That's what this Bible says we're to do in marriage. Present in splendor our wives. I think too often... We've got to cover everything up so we can put an hour of splendor on display for a Sunday morning and then go into our cars and just let life unravel again. Don't do that. So, how do we go forward from here? Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a huge marriage ministry called Love and Respect. And the author noted in this verse, and he had never seen it for years, that it says husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. There's a lot to that. If you have not figured out yet that men and women often think differently 
And there are always exceptions. I'm not speaking in this. I'm saying generally. Then this won't make sense to you. Like we, we need different things. There are love language. There's an aspect of respect that I think men crave, but not respect to domineer. Respect that as we're doing the right thing, we just want to be affirmed in that. And husbands, love here is not just a happy, frilly, bubblegum, sappy heart love. Love here is in the context of the passage. Love means you die to self. Love means you will lay down your life. It doesn't mean you don't stand up and make decisions. It doesn't mean that you let your spouse or your wife walk all over you. It means that your primary goal is to be a living display of Jesus. He was firm when he needed to be firm. He forgave way more than any of us would forgive. And he helped people up far more than any of us are willing to admit we would help. People that denied him, spit on him, crucified him. He walked with and brought into his inner circle. People who lied about him, he spoke truth about. People that were brought before him for having done terrible things, he protected. Husbands, will you be like that? Men, will you be like that? Because I need more men to be examples to my sons. I need more women to be examples to my daughters. And I know that some of you are thinking, there, there can't be a difference. This is too archaic. This is old. Ryan, you're a dinosaur. I tried to come at this passage saying if I had just read this and got rid of all of the marriage books, what would I walk away with? If I read this and I read Corinthians 11 and I read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what would I walk away with? And what I walk away with is that God is equal in dignity, worth, and value, and ability. Yet for some reason within the Godhead, there are these beautiful roles where the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit unites and ties and bonds with love. And then God said, I'm making a collective of beings, and they're going to be like that. But the men in their sin dominate and subject by way of physical strength, or the women undercut and tear down with the power of words. And we are this broken example of what was supposed to be beautiful. One day it will be. Until that day comes, give your heart to Christ first and foremost and bring him to the center of your marriage. If your marriage is a train wreck of trouble right now, don't wait until you fall. Get help. Get help. Find a married couple that you think has it all together. You'll find out quickly that they don't, but there are married couples that can help you. There are married couples that have gone through love and respect here. If you don't even know where to start, I have resources, but I'm, I, want, I would just sit down and say, let's look at your marriage and where you're not fitting into this passage. If you need someone to hear that can just go to bed and sleep at night, I will be those ears for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. This passage terrifies me, Lord, because I fall so short. It's easy for me, God, to heap condemnation on myself for my failures. I pray that we would all remember in here that in Jesus there is no condemnation. I pray that the husbands would die to themselves today and that the wives would seek to honor, respect, and serve and love today and that neither party would see that as something negative but something beautiful that you are unfolding in the midst of a culture that doesn't want to acknowledge that there are male and female God, you created us, you created hormones, you created relationships. Thank you for all of it. Help us to press in like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.